How do you deal with answering emails and keeping on top of social media? Today is a marvellous era to be a working adventurer. It's so easy to reach an audience who's interested in what you do. Partly for interest and partly out of blatant procrastination, I just check to see which countries my newsletters are read in. There are almost a hundred. Hello world! As easy as it is for me to reach an audience, so too is it easy for that audience to contact me. Hit reply to any of my newsletters and it zaps directly to me in my shed, wherever you are in the world. This is fantastic. It's helpful, informative and plain nice to hear from fellow adventurous souls who are interested in my work. Building steadily and concentrating on a loyal core audience is the mantra of Kevin Kelly's 1,000 True Fans thesis that I've based much of my working life on. Kevin suggests that if you can find a 1,000 fans who will buy everything you write and support everything you do, then you have the potential to build a viable business. You should not be discouraged by thinking that success can only come with a million fans. For years, I worked hard to answer every email, every Facebook comment and every tweet, growing my thousand one by one. I also did it to help those people, to be polite and to build relationships. However, as the number of comments and emails grew and the breadth of social media platforms spread, my system eventually became unworkable. I could spend every day replying to emails or I could write my next book. I could not do both. An inbox is a to-do list to which anyone in the world can add an item. And so, with reluctance, I began streamlining my communication. I say with reluctance because it felt rude not to answer. But continuing to post content online whilst decreasing the ensuing dialogue is the only way I can actually get books written, which I consider to be my most important work. I could, of course, stop doing everything except writing books, but I've not been successful enough as a writer yet to just drop a book a year and allow the screaming multitudes to do all the promotion work of their own accord. My solution to the communication dilemma has been to spend the most time engaging with those who've spent the most time connecting with me in the first place. For example, I made a blanket decision to ignore all Instagram and Facebook messages once I started getting too many to deal with. It took me a while not to feel like a rude diva about this. Yet it takes 10 seconds for someone to write, Yo dude, love your content, what equipment do I need to cross Greenland? It would take me an hour to do justice to an answer. I opted not just to pick and choose the messages I reply to because I feel guilty and compelled to answer once I've seen a notification. So I make it easy for my brain by simply never looking at those channels. That's my version of Obama wearing the same colour suit every day. I do my best to answer all the emails I receive, though with brevity and I hope gratitude. Turning frequently asked questions into FAQ pages or blog posts is a helpful strategy as well as a good source of writing ideas. When it comes to defending my time, I try to cut people off at the pass. I want to be accessible, but I also want to be doing my work rather than being at everyone's beck and call. So the contact page of my website links to my FAQs and blog posts that answer the majority of queries I receive. It then lists my agents to contact if the inquiries about various strands of my work 
with a link that addresses common requests from journalists. Next, I try to nudge someone to contact me via Twitter, where I can reply quickly and promptly. Finally, I provide my email address in case none of this has solved the problem and they want to email me directly. I particularly appreciate automated Gmail canned responses for helping me to say no to invitations that guilt, wimpishness, greed or vanity make me inclined to say yes to. Saying no more often is perhaps the number one magic trick for getting important stuff done, for freeing up time and mental space to do the important work. I find it helpful to have a series of pre-prepared canned responses in my emails. I click a button and off it goes. I don't feel so bad about being unhelpful or disappointing someone this way. In case it may help you, this is what one of my messages says. Thank you very much for your kind invitation. Unfortunately, I'm trying to buy back a little time in my life by saying no to interesting opportunities that I'd ordinarily love to say yes to. Apologies not to be saying yes this time. I hope you'll understand. My approach is to tackling email come and go, but the essence is always about doing it in speedy batches, not drip by drip except when I'm lazy and looking for excuses not to do proper work. Usually I check email twice a day. When I get fed up with my working life, it becomes once a week. When I'm procrastinating book writing, it becomes a pointless and pathetic once an hour. I dream of deleting my email account altogether, but I know that it is the gateway to much of my paid work. The day I retire, however, the email address is going. Even saying that sentence makes me smile. Imagine your working life is an empty jar. Fill it first with the few large stones that are your priorities. You'll still be able to fit some pebbles into the jar around the edges. These are the other smaller but important tasks you need to get done. Finally, fill whatever gaps remain with sand. The sand is email and social media. If you make the mistake of doing it the other way round, putting sand into the jar first, then you'll have no space for your work's large stones. When I email businesses or working people, I expect them to reply promptly, not instantly, but within a few days. And so I always try to do the same with replying to my own emails. I've always given short shrift to the excuse of being too much of a hobo for email. On the other hand, don't let it steer your schedule or distract you from the genuine work that needs doing. To keep organised and efficient, I schedule my life via Google Calendar and defend my time tightly. I block off non-negotiable chunks of time as early as possible. An hour per month to climb a tree, two days here to film a micro-adventure, a precious bigger chunk for a bigger adventure. Without doing this, time quickly gets fragmented by small commitments that break up substantial periods when I can tackle meaningful activities. I try very hard to avoid meetings and do them as Zoom calls instead. I try very hard to avoid Zoom calls and do them as emails instead. I try very hard to make email exchanges brief and actionable. If I do need to attend a meeting, I try to cluster a bunch of them together and then drink beer on the train home after a full and productive day. I like to ensure in advance that everyone at a meeting is aware of what we need to get out of it and then be clear what specifically needs doing afterwards, by whom and by when. 
When I can't escape from phone calls or interviews, I batch them all on the same day if possible. Otherwise, I find they hang over me and distract me. I'm always surprised how much a single scheduled call in my calendar disrupts an entire writing day. I use the schedule send function on Gmail to deal more efficiently with future tasks. For example, I uploaded every episode of my podcast many months in advance. At the same time, I scheduled a personal email to each podcast guest for the morning that their interview was released to thank them and provide the link to their episode, asking also if they would be so kind as to share it with their audience too. I do all boring stuff in batches, recording audiobooks, sending invoices, I use debitor for this, sorting out tax, putting together presentations, ordering book stock or buying train tickets. I hate those sessions. Doing everything myself is not smart, I know. With some aspects of my work, I suffer from the absurd delusion of thinking I can do everything better than everyone else. I'm also too impatient to take the time to teach someone to help me with routine tasks. I'm also weirdly private for someone who spends a lot of time writing and talking about himself. I don't like sharing the details of my life. I know that it would be helpful for me to change these foibles and work with someone who could help organize my working life. I am getting better at delegation and really appreciate the collaborations I do have. I hired an intern a while ago to help me think differently. Unfortunately, she was so impressive that she quickly got headhunted by a company that could pay much better than me. I work with agents to manage my speaking inquiries, my work with brands and my publishing contracts. I also have an accountant and I urge anyone who goes self-employed to spend their first paycheck on hiring an accountant. I wish I'd done that. I spent my first paycheck on a gorilla costume. I'd urge you to spend your second paycheck on one of those. If you shoehorn the gorilla into every themed fancy dress party you're ever invited to, it will prove to be a sound investment. A significant but time-consuming part of being a working adventurer is building a decent presence on social media across multiple platforms, adding content to your website and growing an email database. The key to this is regarding it all as work, not as a hassle or a bit of fun. I adopted this attitude when I realized that the only way I could make a living from adventure would be if people knew that I existed. So I began treating my blog like a part-time job, working hard to schedule regular blog posts month by month. I would sit down once a month and write several weeks of content in one go. The 31 days to build a better blog course by Pro Blogger was invaluable. I repeated it every 6 months for several years. Similarly, I consider social media as work and keep my channels well stocked with scheduled content. As well as writing my own material, I try to be a hub of relevant articles on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I read lots of articles and share the good ones. Instapaper's app and Chrome extension are helpful for doing the research efficiently at times that suit me. When I find good posts, I schedule them using www.buffer.com, which spreads the content out rather than dumping lots of links online at one go. It also makes it very easy to post on multiple platforms. I build up a stockpile of articles so that one or two interesting links are shared every day, even when I'm not at a computer. 
I like to set up as much as possible to save myself from being stuck behind a computer. I often have social media posts organised for many months to come, with minimal effort. I also schedule many of my Instagram posts in advance, on top of posting more immediately when I do something relevant. I find it helpful to think thematically about the planned content. For example, I might decide to share a running photo every week with an anecdote to accompany each one. Rather than clogging my mind and to-do list for ages, I upload a batch of them using www.later.com. Not only is Later efficient, but it also keeps me away from the Instagram app itself and all its distracting shiny bicycles and mountains that lure me away from writing. I often use the TBT hashtag, Throwback Thursday, as an excuse to reshare old photos and stories. It's worth remembering that just because you did something years ago does not mean that the tales and lessons are not still relevant today. You will also have new followers who have not heard those stories before. Again, I schedule series of these posts a few months at a time. Later is also helpful for spreading the story of an adventure out evenly. A few folk criticise me for making it look like you are adventuring all the time. But I don't try to pretend that my adventures are longer and mightier than they are. I do make an effort to use the stories efficiently. Imagine, for example, that I abseil off a big cliff, leap into an icy river and meet a kind stranger, all within 10 minutes. I could post three fantastic pictures and stories within 10 minutes. Or I could post one a day to maximise the audience they reach and how the engagement algorithms promote them. Another benefit of this approach is that it allows me to post to social media retrospectively rather than interrupting my adventure. I'd rather enjoy leaping into the icy river and sort out the storytelling next week with a cup of tea. Once you forfeit the immediacy of now, I think you might as well tell the story thoroughly and schedule your posts to reach a wider audience. Everything I post on Instagram automatically goes to Facebook, spreading the message more widely with no effort. You can also make those images show up properly on Twitter with a little tweak. Search online for IFTTT, tweet your Instagrams as native photos on Twitter. It's easy to do. Whilst there are good arguments for putting different content on different platforms, they have different demographics for one thing, there's also a lot to be said for amplifying your message efficiently without doing unnecessary extra work. Quick question. How do I start a blog about my own micro-adventures? It's a maze of information online. Don't overthink it. The main thing is just that you start. What's your priority? Words, photos or video? If you like taking pics and jotting down a few thoughts, Instagram would do the job perfectly. If you like making films, then start uploading to YouTube. If you only want to write, Medium is super. If you're going to be an expert who answers questions, Quora might be your place. If you don't know exactly, begin your own website with Squarespace and start putting all your different work up there. Whichever social media angle you opt for, you definitely want to build up content on your own website. What matters the most is getting out on those micro-adventures and turning your experiences into regular quality content. Good luck.